Hello, everybody. Um, so here we are, uh, almost at the end of 2016. And um, on some levels, I think it's been a bit of a crappy year, to be honest. Um, politically, certainly. Um, I, I'm standing here not with not a huge amount of hope for our nation and the world. Um, we've had... Rob, can we have the slide on? Thank you. There we go. Uh, we've had Brexit, a campaign which was filled with lies from both sides. I'll try and be politically neutral here. Mudslinging has resulted in an uncertain future for our country, I think. Uh, party divisions, no clear leadership, uh, community divisions with um, racial tensions. We've had uh, the US presidency uh, election, uh, the election of a seemingly misogynist, racist, climate change denying non-politician who I wouldn't trust with the red button as far as I can throw him as one of the world's, probably the world's most powerful person. Um, we've got the Syrian conflict, which is ongoing. Oops, wrong way. There we go. Um, where we've got constant fighting in Aleppo, many civilian casualties, um, which is really hard to see. Um, there's the ongoing refugee crisis where um, many are still risking their lives to flee from um, the likes of uh, Syria to come uh, to Western Europe and to our country. Uh, we've seen the destruction of the Calais jungle. We've got economic doom and gloom with the latest forecasts uh, that came out last week. Uh, in our local community, we've got um, budget cuts threatening Walsall Council, um, threatening the Leather Museum, the Art Gallery, uh, and our libraries. Individually, many of you here are undoubtedly facing difficult circumstances as well. Uh, some of you uh, might have illness, either for yourself or in your families. We've just heard of uh, Steve Harrison. Um, one of my friends actually died on Friday, um, leaving behind um, a husband who she'd only been married to for a few years. Teenage son, uh, she wasn't ill. Uh, she had a brain hemorrhage at work and, and just died on, on Friday morning. Um, and I'm struggling to kind of even figure that out, let alone comprehend uh, what her family must, must be going through right now. Some of you might be experiencing relationship problems, um, difficulties at work or school. You might be facing some unemployment. Unfortunately, life doesn't run smoothly a lot of the time, does it? Sometimes it's hard to see how circumstances could change. Sometimes it's hard to have hope, and sometimes it can even feel like God isn't there or isn't listening. Zechariah, who we've uh, just heard about, would have been feeling some of that. He was a godly man, um, and he and his wife Elizabeth uh, had a deep longing for children. And because they were getting old, they thought the chance had gone. Zechariah would undoubtedly have been feeling as well that something wasn't right in the world, a bit like I'm feeling now. Um, foreigners had invaded uh, his land in, in the Romans. Um, the king at the time was King Herod, uh, who was a non-Jew. He was appointed by the Roman Senate. He was ruthless. He murdered many of his family. Uh, he'd got all of these ostentatious building projects going on, including pagan temples. So uh, Zechariah, as a priest, would have undoubtedly felt that his, um, his faith was under attack. And also, God had seemingly been quiet for 400 years. Between the end of the Old Testament and where we are now at the beginning of the New Testament, God had seemingly been pretty quiet. Not a lot had been going on. 
And Zechariah might have been wondering, well, where is God now? And what about the promises that uh, he understood in the Old Testament? So before we uh, move on, just a quick recap and, and some context setting and apologies if some of this was said last Sunday night. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what, um, how much of this you went into, but Zechariah was a priest and he and his wife Elizabeth were descendants of Aaron uh, and Aaron was Moses' right-hand man. And Zechariah as a priest had to spend one uh, week in the temple at Jerusalem every six months and, and so this was his time now. And this time he was given the job of keeping the uh, incense burning on the altar in front of the Holy of Holies, which was like the bit in the temple where uh, God's presence was thought to uh, dwell most strongly. Uh, that kind of job was drawn by lot, a bit like jury service, except it was a kind of good thing rather than um, something quite onerous. Uh, this was an honour of a lifetime for Zechariah. And when he was doing that, uh, he was visited by an angel, and the angel said uh, that uh, he and his wife Elizabeth were to have a son who would be great in the sight of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and turn many people uh, of Israel to God. But Zechariah doubted. How can I be sure of this? He said, I'm an old man, and my wife is getting on a bit. That last bit was just paraphrased. But he was struck dumb by the angel until his son was to be born. Uh, I suppose as, uh, as some kind of rebuke uh, for doubting what the angel was saying. In answering the deep longing of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, God fulfills far wider promises as well for the Israelite nation and for our world. And he calls Zechariah and therefore he calls us to trust in him and have hope that all of his promises will be fulfilled. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? Why do we find it hard to trust God? Why do we find it hard to have hope? Well, a few things, I think. Um, I think that uh, we doubt God, um, just like Zechariah. And we often ask for signs, even when we, we know that God is speaking to us. We often ask for a sign to kind of prove it's something tangible. Uh, and I know I've been guilty of that in the past as well. Go, all going all the way back to Abraham, when God promised to make a great nation out of his descendants, Abraham said, but how can I know that you will do this? Gideon said, if now I have favour with you, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Hezekiah said, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me? Constantly throughout the Old Testament, even when great men and women of God knew that he was speaking to them, they asked for a sign, they asked for further confirmation, they doubted. Zechariah doubted God. He'd seemingly been quiet for 400 years and his present circumstances quite naturally looked as though they couldn't be changed. So I wonder how often do we look at things and situations and people through human eyes and in doing so limit the power and authority of a God who can do all things. Second thing why uh, I think we find it hard to, to have hope and to trust God uh, is because of peer pressure. Um, so in the first part of tonight's passage, um, we see that it, was, it seemed to be tradition that uh, if you were um, a, a religious person, then your um, children would receive a family name. Um, so they thought that Zechariah and Elizabeth's son was going to be called Zechariah Jr., but when Elizabeth said that uh, they were going to name their son John, their neighbours were surprised. They said, but there's no one among your relatives who has that name. The expectations and attitudes of other people um, and the attitudes of the world 
um, result in, in peer pressure and make us act in ways that differ from the ways that God would take us. And just a thought as well, the neighbours of Elizabeth and Zechariah were rejoicing uh, and sharing in their joy through uh, what God had done. And yet they still said, but hang on, you, that's not the way that things happen here. Um, we as Christians can still apply peer pressure. And peer pressure we kind of think of as something that just happens at school, right? Um, that, you know, we are more open to that there when we are kind of growing up and, um, you know, people are kind of pressuring us to experiment with, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll. But peer pressure isn't just experienced at school. It happens all through our adult life as well, just in more subtle ways. It can happen at work when um, we feel pressure to uh, act in a certain way or have a certain attitude uh, or do things a certain way, even when maybe it doesn't sit quite right with us. Um, we can experience peer pressure in our families, again, just because, you know, we might have, like, family traditions that actually we want to try and break out of, but uh, it's actually really difficult to do, even though we perhaps know that the right thing to do is not fit in with the way that things have always done. So there's a risk of doing things in a certain way uh, just because that's the way they've always been done. And I think we see that in our church as well, especially in established ministries. There's um, you know, a, a tendency for things to happen just because that's the way they've always happened. And actually, if we start to try and question that, um, then it can, we can meet some resistance, um, especially from people who've been involved in that ministry for some time and can't see past what always has been done and kind of works. So I think maybe there's a challenge there for us to challenge those established ministries. The third thing I thought of as to why we find it hard to, to trust God and to, to have hope uh, is that, um, especially if we've been a follower of Jesus for some time, it can be easy to coast along, right? It could have been easy for Zechariah himself to have coasted along based on his past spirituality. He was a godly man who had trusted and served God for a long time, uh, earlier on in Luke 1, uh, it says that Zechariah observed all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. So what's the danger in just coasting along? Um, isn't it okay if we just kind of do what we always do and, uh, and just fit in with a routine? Well, I think the routine is, is the danger there. Um, our walks with God can become um, stale and actually we end up not impacting uh, the people around us um, through our faith in Jesus. We can assume that there's nothing else to learn, maybe, um, that we think we've got it all sorted. We know all the stories. There might be a few obscure things in the Bible that we perhaps don't know about, but they're probably not important. And we can become complacent ourselves. And it's easy to view our spiritual lives maybe as something that can be mastered rather than maintained, a box to tick. We think we've done it all and we know it all. And the final thing I thought of as to why we might find it hard to have hope and to trust God is that um, we naturally have short memories. Short memories were a common problem in the Old Testament. And the Israelites' memories were, on occasion, notoriously short. And I wonder if, uh, through his encounter with the angel that Zechariah had forgotten, the covenant that God had made with Abraham, I wonder how quickly we forget God's faithfulness to us when uh, things get difficult again. How easy is it to forget how much God has blessed us in the past or uh, when God has answered our prayers when uh, things get difficult again? Or actually how easy it is for us to get focused on our own personal circumstances like maybe Zechariah did 
uh, when he heard the, the angel's message, his first thought was, I don't think that can happen, God, because uh, we're quite old and we can't have children. Um, and he, he struggled to see the bigger picture of what God was going to do through his son. So ultimately, I think we're too often held captive by peer pressure. We trust in the world's view rather than God's perspective. Uh, we too often doubt God can act, and we get caught up in our own microcosm and can't see beyond that present reality. Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, was to prepare the way for the Jesus. And it's because of that Jesus that we can have hope. Jesus was the fulfilment of God's promises through Scripture, and it's that fulfilment that Zechariah sung about. After his doubt silenced him, Zechariah opens his mouth and sings a song that we've heard tonight. He sings of God's faithfulness and he sings about how all of the things he promised throughout scripture were now to be fulfilled um, in Mary's son and also through his own son. Zechariah himself was changed after his period of silence. Uh, he didn't give in to peer pressure. He didn't listen to his neighbours, um, even when they didn't understand. He didn't worry what they thought of him uh, when, they called, when he decided to call his son John. He does remember God's promises. He remembers God's covenant with Abraham uh, in verse 72. And he recognises that God is at work and he will speak again through his son. And he learned, I think, to walk in a deeper trust uh, with God. He learned that he needed to maintain his relationship with God and that it would never be mastered. There was always something new to learn, always something new to understand about himself and about his relationship with God. So how does Jesus give us hope? Firstly, he is the personification of God being alive and at work and bringing all of his promises to fulfilment. No longer are all of God's promises in the Old Testament something uh, intangible and that uh, we, uh, the people needed to, to just trust and have faith in. Jesus was the personification of all of that. All of that led up to Jesus. Secondly, Jesus gives us hope because he's been there and experienced some of the same tensions of hope and faith that Zechariah and Elizabeth faced and that we face today. Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. He knew what it was to be tempted. And the fact that we're told that he was tempted implied that there was an element of doubt there in his father's provision and promises for him. But he came through that. Jesus knew what it was to lose somebody. He knew what it was to grieve. Um, he wept over the death of his friend Lazarus. Um, he knew what it was to be reluctant to follow God's will. He asked his father if there was another way take this cup from me, uh, he said, if it's, if it's your will, if there's another way, don't let me go through what I'm going to go through now. And he endured intense physical and emotional pain leading up to his crucifixion. Jesus knew uh, what it was like to be concerned for a member of his family. Uh, he was deeply concerned for his mother and that she would be uh, looked after uh, even when he was hanging on the cross. Jesus knew what it was like to be betrayed by his friends who deserted him in the hour of his greatest need. Ultimately, Jesus knew what it was like to uh, know that or to think that God wasn't there or that God wasn't listening. On the cross, he experienced that ultimate separation from God. So when we're thinking, where's God in all this? I don't think God cares. I don't think God's listening. Take that, magnify it by infinity. And that's what Jesus went through for us. But despite all of this, we can have hope because um, Jesus did follow his calling. He, he trusted his father and he trusted that all of those promises would be fulfilled in him. 
Zechariah sings that his son will prepare the way for Jesus, giving people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus' death saves us from that sin that causes us to doubt, saves us from uh, having to worry about present circumstances, saves us from having to please others by giving into peer pressure. We don't need to do that any longer. We don't need to do that because his resurrection and his triumph over the grave gives us hope that God's promises will always be fulfilled. Because of God's grace, that new life is a free gift and it's not something that we have to master. It's a free gift. We embark on that journey and there's always something to learn. There's always something to to grow into. It's not something that we have to achieve. That's what God's grace does in giving us the freedom. I just want to share with you um, just a personal testimony, really, about uh, something that happened uh, to me about uh, a year and a half ago. Um, and uh, just something that, that I think is particularly relevant, and I can kind of see some parallels to, to what Zechariah went through. And um, it's a story that I shared uh, very, very briefly with YF when I spoke a few, years, a few weeks ago. So apologies for you guys who have already heard it, but I'll hopefully kind of tell it a little bit better tonight. Um, but around 18 months ago, um, I went for uh, a promotion at work, and um, it was a job that, although it wasn't created for me, uh, it was a job that I knew that the, um, the hiring manager um, had got me in mind for. Um, but I didn't get the job, and uh, one of my colleagues got it. And um, everything that I'd kind of planned uh, kind of just fell away. So I, would, I was pinning a lot onto that job, um, I, I'd started to kind of plan out my career, started to plan out, you know, next steps and all of that kind of stuff. And I suppose the warning signs should have been there because I'd started to plan, I'd started to think what that could lead to. Uh, and when I put myself first um, and start to plan without God, that's when things kind of go wrong. So I felt, I found myself in, um, I felt like I was in, uh, going to experience a wilderness period, right? So coming from a place where I was so sure of everything to a place where I was really unsure and I felt like, yeah, I was going to go through this wilderness experience. And I felt like God was saying to me, uh, yeah, that's going to happen. Um, and my mind naturally went to Jesus in the wilderness and about how he took time out um, and, and just kind of, um, yeah, listened to, to God, I guess, um, and was tested. And so what I pledged to do was to uh, read the Bible every day, do my quiet time, um, and although I kind of try to do that anyway, doesn't happen every day, and a lot of the time it's kind of, as I'm munching on my cereal in the morning, but I, I, I said to God, right, I'm going to do this diligently every day, and also what I'm going to do is write down whatever you're saying to me each day. Um, I don't normally keep a journal at all. I don't normally write, write anything down when I'm doing my quiet times, um, but that's what I said to God that I would do, so that by the end of it I could look back and hopefully uh, understand what God was trying to say to me. And actually leading up to this point, uh, I was already feeling challenged before I, I didn't get the job anyway, that I was already pinning too much on career and job status and how people perceive me because of the job that I did and all of that kind of stuff and the trappings went with it. So I kind of got a sense that this was coming anyway and I knew that God wanted, me to, wanted to challenge me over it. Um, so that's what I did for 40 days, and I kept a journal, and this is it. And it's not all of that, by the way. It's about 10 pages in here. But I just thought I'd read out to you some of the things that uh, God was saying to me um, during those 40 days, um, during this wilderness period, during this time when um, 
not that I doubted that God was listening, but when, um, when I wasn't sure what the future held. Um, and all of these things are either direct from Scripture or a paraphrase from what the Bible study notes were telling me at the time. Um, so these are some of the, just some of the things that God was saying to me. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God may not give you everything you want, but he will give you everything you need. The God we serve doesn't suffer from lack or limitation. In spite of what I'm going through today, God has great blessings in store for me. But in order to handle them properly, I must learn humility, develop a heart of gratitude, and never forget that he alone is the source of every good thing I'll ever have. My salvation and my honour come from God alone. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. He's preparing a feast for me. Love equals happiness and fulfilment. A job and a house don't bring lasting joy and fulfilment. They only whet our appetite for more. Take advice. With many counsellors, there is safety. And I, I did that. I took some advice and, and counsel from some trusted friends. Don't conform to the ways of the world. Society's expectations change. God is the only one worth pursuing. Don't devote, don't devote energies into anything less. When God speaks to me, it's to bring my life into conformity with Christ. Don't run from the process. Be still and know that I am God. And the most important thing in life is knowing Christ and experiencing the power of his resurrection. So those were some of the things that God was telling to me through my wilderness period, through that time when I was wondering what God wanted to say, uh, through that time when I felt that God was rebuking me in a similar way to how he uh, was rebuking Zechariah for doubting God um, and for focusing on his own circumstances. Um, so if any of you may be kind of struggling with anything like that at the moment, um, I found that a really helpful um, kind of process to work through that uh, and, and to keep a journal and to ask God and, and to invite him to examine me um, and to challenge me. So just some uh, concluding thoughts to finish off. Luke chapter 1 links Zechariah's story to Israel, to the patriarchs, to the kings, to the prophets and the Psalms. That centuries-old story had turned a corner out of darkness into light. Zechariah and Elizabeth stand out as ordinary people, hesitating between faith and doubt, called to trust God in a moment of history. It's easy, I think, for us to share in their spiritual tension, and we're invited to identify with Zechariah and his attempt to come to grips with his present circumstances. In this passage that we read tonight, we see that God, both, that to God, both the big picture and the smaller human stories totally matter. God hears us and knows our pain and is there alongside us. And through all of that, through our own individual stories, he's rescuing all of creation. One of my daughter's favourite books is um, this one called The Fox and the Star. Um, she's only 18 months. She probably doesn't, hasn't got a clue what the story's about. But there are some fantastic, fantastic illustrations and she just loves looking through uh, this and having it read to her. But this book it tells a story uh, about a fox, and fox's happiness is, um, is bound to a flickering star in the sky. But one night, fox wakes up, and everything had changed, and the star is gone. And the book tells of his quest to find the star again. And towards the end, fox is called to look up beyond his ears. 
Look up beyond your ears, foxes told. And there he finds a dazzling sky full of stars. He knows that his star is up there somewhere, but he's blown away by the bigger picture. God calls us to look up beyond our ears, to see beyond our present circumstances, and to trust in his promises. He offers us new life through Jesus, and in doing so, gives us hope. God has already fought our battles and won that victory. His promise to bring all of creation together under Christ will ultimately come to pass. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the only true king. All of that stuff that we thought about at the start will just fade away. The earthly powers that, to me, don't really fill me with a lot of hope at the moment will ultimately fade away. There will be healing in time for uh, my friend um, as he grieves the death of his wife. Revelation 21 verse 4 says about Jesus, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So this Advent, may we too look up beyond our ears and have faith that hope and hope that God's promises will always be fulfilled. Amen.